Well, good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be here again in the name of Christ, in the house of God. Let's uh, bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, God, for your greatness. Thank you for your omnipotence, your omnipresence, and that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Thank you for truth. This was discussed this morning already. Aside from culture, aside from what we're taught or grow up grow up with, there is truth outside of ourselves. I thank you for that, and that you have allowed us to enter into that truth, into you, into Christ. Let's pray, God, that you would bless this next minutes here as we look into your word and unfold some of that truth. And I pray that it would impact all of our lives by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This morning I want to speak about anatomy of forgiveness. In school, we learn about anatomy. Uh, anatomy is study of the parts of something. Uh, for example, this is a, something I brought from school. This is a a pig that never had the privilege of becoming bacon. Poor thing. So, uh, they're very useful in studying the mammalian structure. Uh, People are put together in a similar fashion to to mammals. Um, So, it's a useful useful, uh, study. Uh, Even pig parts are sometimes used as spare parts for people. and, And heart valves, for example. So, we could we study the uh, anatomy of a structure, um, open it up, take it apart. Um, some of my students think like to think that they are working in a butcher shop, but no, you're not supposed to just chop it up. That's not the point. Uh, you're taking it apart piece by piece, layer by layer, carefully uh, dissecting it to find, find the anatomy. So here you have the heart, lungs on each side, Diaphragm, breathing muscle across here, to the upper thoracic cavity, the abdominal cavity below. There's a big liver. The liver is the largest organ of the body, etc., etc. That's a, that's anatomy, study of parts. So, this morning the topic is anatomy of forgiveness. <clears throat> forgiveness seems, you know, it's, it can be a simple thing. You know, just you need to forgive your brother for kicking you or grabbing your blocks or whatever. Um, But when you start taking forgiveness apart, you say, oh, what about this? What about this? How does that work? And you get into, uh, you can spend lots of time, I did, (laughs) uh, working on figuring out how forgiveness works. So anatomy, the structure of something, the study of the structure of something. So, anatomy of forgiveness. Well, what is forgiveness? Let's start with a little definition here. Forgiveness. Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 18, uh, verse 24. 
Matthew 18, verse 24. We'll start reading there. 1824. Well, I mean 2418. Let's try again. 1824. Uh, Jesus is giving a account or a parable here of a of a a king. Verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Uh, one point here. I've got a little side trip. This 10,000 talents. I've heard people describe trying to figure out how much money is 10,000 talents and how big was this debt. Well, the Greek word from Strong's that 10,000 is is uh, taken from uh, doesn't necessarily mean a number. It's, it's, it's a phrase like, I have 101 things to do today. It's like more than I can imagine. When Jesus talked about the... Uh, king sitting down first to see if he could conquer with 10,000 soldiers, a king that comes against him with 20,000 soldiers, that's a different number. That 10,000, a different word. That 10,000 means 10,000. This means, uh, it's used sometimes as amounts, but it's not as specific. So, we can just paraphrase this, that uh, one was brought to him, which owed him gobs and gobs and gobs of money. You just an unimaginable amount of money. There was no end to the debt. You know, when I paid that $9,999 and the next one, I'm done. This is, a, this, is, this is a debt that you can't imagine. There's no, really a, a, there's no monetary value to put onto it. For as much, in verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay this impossible debt, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness, release from responsibility for an offense. So the man owed money and the king said, okay, uh, you don't owe the money. All right, he was released from the responsibility for the offense, this offense of owing. Uh, there's a lot more behind this forgiveness. <clears throat> forgiveness, first of all, assumes an offense has occurred. So where does the offense come from? What creates an offense? Uh, let me give you an illustration. Let's say I'm practicing my trailer backing skills at Mr. Matt's um, property here. And uh, I'm backing into his driveway and use the wrong mirror or turn. Backing a trailer is difficult for folks who aren't initiated. I'm not too initiated, but I've tried it several times. Uh, and I back into his mailbox post break off the mailbox post below ground level. The mailbox goes off into the grass. Ooh, whoa. And so I go to his house, knock on the door, says, Matt, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I knocked down your mailbox. Please forgive me. I'll fix it. I'll, I'll do whatever you say, but just, just please forgive me. And he laughs and says, I never forgive you for that. 
I was planning to knock it down myself this afternoon. It's all rotten. I was going to put another post in across the, across the flower bed from it. I can't forgive you for that. There's no offense. My purposes for that mailbox was having it going. You have fulfilled my purposes. There's no offense occurring. I cannot forgive you for that offense. Because there was no offense. We should check with the owners of mailboxes before you knock them down. Just try it out. Uh, most times, the, the purpose of the mailbox is to stay in its place. So, there has to be a violation of the purposes of God in order for an offense to occur. So, offense, offenses are actions, attitudes, or motives contrary to the purposes of God. Otherwise called sin. Uh, Paul talks about offenses and sin kind of interchangeably in Romans. So how does mankind know the purposes of God? How does mankind know whether God wants the mailbox there or not? Uh, The Mosaic law was given to clarify the purposes of God. But offense, the, uh, the possibility of offenses didn't start with the law of Moses at the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. You read in Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis, Cain was severely scolded, castigated is the word there, uh, for violating the purposes of God in killing his brother. That was long before God gave the sixth commandment to Moses, thou shalt not kill. Uh, And somehow, I expect God had um, given indication that it's not a good idea to kill your brother. Uh, We're not really told how that that occurred. Um, But there was was an expectation. There was a uh, some, some type of code, some type of of, 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 of law in place that was broken by Cain. <clears throat> so even though uh, Paul describes the law bringing offense, um, the offense, offenses didn't begin at, at the giving of the law. But Paul does say, moreover, the law entered, in Romans 5.20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now we know what's wrong with us. Now we know what the problem is here. Now we have a fuller description of God's purposes. And we can know how bad we are. That's nice, isn't it? That's <laughs> All right. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Yes. We can know, <laughs> we can know how bad we are. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and Paul continues in Romans 7, little section of verse there. That the that sin might become exceeding sinful um, was the purpose of, of the law. Um, another another um, idea to, that's good to think about here: forgiveness. There's this word called objective. You may have read read, read about objective something or other, um, and we need to make sure we're talking about objective forgiveness. Objective is a word that means something that is 
true no matter what you think about it. Okay? Uh, I have been told that I'm a handsome man. Don't laugh. Okay? <laughs> um, that is not an objective truth. Obviously. There are many people in the world that would say, I look like a wimpy loser because I lack those cool scar patterns on my face and torso. And you young ladies, how do you think a a man will ever want to be your husband without a nice big lip plug installed? I mean, flat face, what do I mean? So, you know, beauty is one uh, of the subjective characteristics that we, we uh, you know, deal with in, in, in everyday life. So objective, objective forgiveness, objective anything, is something that is true no matter what you think about it. No matter what I think about it. So if it's true no matter what you or you or you or you or I think about it, well, well then the question comes up, well, what makes it true? So this is forgiveness that is it's, it's real forgiveness. There was a real offense. There was a real uh, releasing of responsibility of offense. And it's not dependent on what you think about it or what I think about it or whether I'm okay with it. You're running over my car or whatever. You know, it's, it's, a, um, it's an offense that is based on something outside of ourselves. Objective forgiveness, if there is such a thing, and there is, never fear. Objective forgiveness assumes the possibility of an objective offense. Which means something can be wrong whether you think it is or not. Or I think it is or not. And many people of my acquaintances at least would believe that to be true. Even even people to hear of that, that aren't godly necessarily or that don't honor God. Uh, or even that don't believe in God, would say things like something, something can be true, right or wrong, or true, uh, aside from what people think about it. <clears throat> but objective forgiveness, if there really is uh, real forgiveness, not just imaginary, but real forgiveness, there must be an objective offense. So, if there's an objective offense that occurs it's an offense that does not depend upon anyone's opinion or understanding of the situation. If there, if there are offenses like that, that assumes the existence of an objective morality. A morality is a set of rules that don't depend upon what you think about them. So, an objective morality could only come from a perfectly moral God outside of humanity, outside of the creation. This is the proof for existence of God. If there is object, if there is objective forgiveness or morality, there must be a perfectly moral God in existence somewhere. Maybe you haven't found him yet, but there, there must be, or else we are, we are, either there is an objective morality or there isn't an, an objective morality. Uh, and there have been people in history who lived like they thought there wasn't an objective morality. Uh, but many people who have you know, self-respect and like the approval of their peers uh, 
do follow a standard of living that uh, they, they, they you know, have come to accept as their morality. <clears throat> you may have heard of uh, Richard Dawkins. Okay. Earl has. Anybody else heard of Richard Dawkins? I was curious. Okay, sure. sure. He's a, one of the noisiest atheists in the world today. Um, and another gentleman, his name is Peter Singer. Not quite as loud. But these, these gentlemen together have, have sold, uh, not, not co-written, but they, they sold millions of books you know, between themselves. Uh, very, very popular, popular writers. Peter Singer is a uh, uh, professor of philosophy and ethics in Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey. He's a, one of the people that teaches Americans how to think. Uh, not everyone agrees with him. Uh, both of these, these um, individuals... Um, are are uh, um, unbelievers. They don't, don't believe in any spiritual entity at all. But they do believe in morality. And it's, I, I, I watched an uh, interview. Mr. Dawkins from England was interviewing Mr. Singer from uh, Princeton. Uh, and the discussion was ludicrous. And these grown-up men were perfectly serious and discussing things, the morality of... Uh, you know, increasing the total happiness of the world is, is, is really the, the most important thing in your life. So, I don't, um, you know, I'm not mean to you because that wouldn't increase the total happiness in the world. But what would increase the total happiness in the world is if I had a little child that had a very bad disease, if I would quietly kill him in a hospital somewhere, give him a shot, I could have another child that wouldn't have a horrible bad disease, and that would increase the total happiness in the world. Uh, Peter, Peter says, Mr. Singer says that it should, it should be, uh, for sure accepted that abortion shouldn't stop at birth. It should, I mean, one or two years old, when you know how they're going to turn out. Uh, is something, is something wrong with them? Uh, where is their, what is their morality based on? It's not based on anything objective. Uh, they are making up their own morality, but it is marshmallows. It's just, Puff. It's just whatever they happen to think. Their morality is no better than whatever you can come up with. Or whatever Nero came up with. Or Hitler or whoever else you want to put in there. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Uh, and not under any, any type of objective morality at all. <clears throat> Another question that comes up and it's a forgiveness topic. Who needs to be forgiven? There is a uh, there are social groups in the world where the uh, young males grow up and start to feel their testosterone. And they go out and find a uh, a mother, and they'll kill the young of the mother, and uh, that makes the mother available for um, production of another one that is their child, not their child, but their offspring. Um, this is common practice in lion, tri- lion prides, uh, chimpanzee troops, I think they're called, chimpanzee groups. Uh, they're not people, of course. They're not, uh, this behavior isn't morally wrong. Animals aren't bound by any moral code. They can do things like that, and it's fine. Uh, the lions can attack the zebras and eat them alive. Nope, whatever. Uh, that's not wrong. Animals weren't made in the image of God. And so they're not bound to 
conform to his image. There's nothing morally binding to an animal. The dog can dig in your flower bed, and it's not wrong. Oh, <laughs> it's not objectively wrong, okay? It's subjectively very wrong because you will, you will uh, recompense his reward upon him, right? Uh, but there's nothing sinful about the dog digging in your flower bed. Don't tell the dog that. But that's, that's, that's the truth. So, who needs to be forgiven? Not the animals. They're, they're a separate creation. These, uh, Mr. Singer and Mr. Dog believe that. And many, many other people uh, believe that animals and humans are all one big family. And just because you, know, you, you wouldn't be mean, you don't want to lock up your neighbor in a cage and raise him to eat him later. You don't lock up a pig in a cage and raise him to eat him later either. Uh, it's all in the same boat. And they'll very clearly tell you that. Uh, they're not ashamed about it either. Uh, and that's what's, that's what's being taught at Princeton University in New Jersey. All right, who needs to be forgiven? Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Or all have offended this morally perfect God. So we all need to be forgiven. Well, how do we get forgiven? Um, turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. I think this is a really good manual on how to get forgiven. Psalm 51. This is a, 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 a personal testimony type of a poem. I suppose it's a poetry in Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew, but that's what we understand. Uh, that King David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. So, this, back to the Second Samuel. It talks about this, this account that this uh, Psalm 51 is based on. And, uh, so, youngsters, the Bible story. So, King David has sent his army out to uh, fight the neighbors, and um, he sees a neighbor lady that he likes. And so, her husband, Uriah, he was a good man. Uriah was a good patriot. Uh, he was out fighting the enemies with the other Israelite soldiers. So, the husband wasn't at home. And so, uh, David asked this neighbor lady to come and live with him for a while. Well, she went back home after a while. And later she told King David that, that they're going to have a child. And, ooh, that wouldn't look good. Because the husband is off in fighting the war. And so David says to himself, we need to get him back home quickly. And so he, he sends messengers out to the army. So you send Uriah back home quick. He needs a vacation. He needs one really, really, really quickly. And so Joab sends Uriah back home, back home to his house. Back home to David, actually. Um, and, and David welcomes him. Hello, hello, how are you? And gives him a party, gives him food to eat. And says, why don't you go home and take it easy for a while? You've been a good soldier. And Uriah says, no, I'm not going home. All my friends, all my close friends, we stick up for each other. And they're out there in the battlefield 
They're camping in the, in the fields, laying on blankets under the stars. And I'm not going to go home and take it easy and have vacation while they're, all, they're over there facing danger, facing the, the uh, enemies of Israel. And David slept, I mean, uh, Uriah uh, spent the night in, in, in uh, David's servants' quarters. So that's at the gate with David's servants. And, oops, that didn't work. He, didn't, uh, he wouldn't go home. And so he couldn't be associated with this, this child. The next day, David says, it didn't work very well. I say, Uriah, uh, come have lunch with me. And he gave him, he gave, made him drink lots of wine, try to get him drunk, so he wouldn't know what he's doing. And he thought perhaps then he would go down to his house and, and try to, try to uh, have vacation for a while. But Uriah had a strong character and he either didn't drink very much or else he could somehow keep his head, uh, through the alcohol. But he, he wouldn't go to, go to, uh, to his house. So David was stuck. He said, well, hmm. We'll have to get, get Uriah out of the way somehow. So he sent a, a note back to Joab with Uriah back to the army. And he told, jo, told Joab, look, you go and attack that city and go really, really close, stupidly close. And then all the other soldiers run away. So Uriah is left, left by himself and then he can get killed. I want him out. I want him, I want him dead. So Joab did. Joab was a good commander, obedient to his, his uh, commander-in-chief. And they had this little uh, assault on the city up against the wall. And the other soldiers ran away like they were told. And uh, Uriah hadn't gotten the message, of course. And uh, he was shot or killed somehow. And so now Uriah was dead. And he wouldn't complain about this little, little child being born in his house. And so David uh, asked this Bathsheba lady, his neighbor lady, to come and marry him. And so she did. Uh, she married married him. And this little child was born. And probably a year later or more, uh, Nathan the prophet comes to talk to David. And after Nathan's meeting with David, David writes Psalm 51. Uh, I'm just going to review the offenses here. Just sticking with the Ten Commandments, we have one, two, three, four, at least four offenses directly smashed. Uh, um, Laws broken. Not the offenses smashed, but the laws were were broken. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Stole his neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And other things as well. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, Nathan told David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. In Exodus, in, in the Levitical law, not right in the Ten Commandments, but in the Levitical law, thou shalt not kill. Violators of that law were normally stoned. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Whoever violated that law was normally stoned too. So we have a double capital offense here. Uh, the stealing was usually recompensed fourfold, or perhaps other ways, depending on how they were well, stolen. Uh, the coveting, I don't uh, know what, if there was a, a uh, punishment for coveting. Um, perhaps it would come under the stealing once you wanted it bad enough, you went and stole it and you had to recompense uh, restitution, give back what you had stolen, plus some extra. 
We have two capital offenses under the law of Moses. Still in the Old Testament time. And Nathan the prophet says, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. There's some New Testament stuff happening here. So, why did David not die? Well, let's just look through this, this psalm here and pick out the processes of forgiveness. How David got forgiven. Uh, one of the first points that jumps out to me is he admitted his guilt. Now, you can say, well, so did Achan, right? Uh, I don't know all the sovereignty of God in this. Why Achan was, was uh, stoned and David wasn't. Um, we're just picking out picking out uh, more of a New Testament overview here of how this how forgiveness can work. He admitted his guilt. Uh, admitting your guilt, agreeing with God, God that made the rules. So in verse 3 and 4, For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sins ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Another uh, part of getting forgiveness here is in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Believing by faith that God can forgive you. David didn't say, Oh, that's such a horrible thing. I've done two capital offenses. I'm, 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 I'm done. You know, I can't be rescued. But he believed that God could rescue him. Um, that's a, a leap of faith for many people. Either they've been told they're bad, or they, they somehow think that they're, they're too bad for God to take care of. An almighty God who created the whole universe can't fix up me? <laughs> He's trying. So yes, it's an ongoing process. Believe that God can forgive you. If we don't, if, if, if David would have despaired, God couldn't have, have uh, cleared him. And in the New Testament, we'll see that later in other, other verses. And then verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Praise God. Thank God for doing what he said he was going to do. And again, it's, it's a by faith process. Sometimes we don't feel very jubilant if we, you know, we see the smashes of what we've done. And the, the, the scars stay. Um, relationships. You know, there's people still around that we've wronged, perhaps. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a step, step of faith, day by day, accepting that God has forgiven me, I have repented, and, and I am forgiven, and praising God for it. All right, another question that comes up in this forgiveness topic, who does the forgiving? Well, if there is an offense committed, then whoever made the rule that was broken that caused the offense is the one that can that can extend the forgiveness. <clears throat> so if I see my neighbor knocking down my other neighbor's mailbox, I go over to him and say, oh, that's okay, I don't, don't mind, don't bother, it's all right, I don't mind. Well, it wasn't my, my mailbox post, it was his, you know. 
whoever the offense was done toward um, does does is is the one that does the forgiving. So who is that? Well, in this uh, Psalm 51, there's some things that are a bit hard to swallow at first. David says in oh uh, first um, yeah, I think I read it. Oops, I read it wrong, Psalm 50. Verse 4. This is the story of, of David killing Uriah and stealing his wife and all that. And David says in verse 4, Against thee, thee only have I sinned. What about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about the child that died later? Is David just going, going uh, uh, ignoring all the, 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 the scars and the trauma he's caused? What about the other men that were with Uriah that got killed too in that deal at the, at the city wall? There were others that got killed too besides Uriah. What about their families? Then there were widows in Israel. But David says, against thee, <coughs> thee only have I sinned. <coughs> Seemingly ignoring the pain of those that he had harmed around him. In Acts, Ananias and Sapphira had made this deal to bring some money and pretend like it was all of, all of the money they bought, got for their property. And notice what Peter says to, to uh, I think it was Ananias. Ananias and Sapphira had lied to the apostles. And Peter tells them, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Okay. And there again, you're bypassing the people and saying, I have offended God. And I was negating the offense to the people that were involved. Jesus uh, was, I think this is in the Beatitudes, just a little phrase I picked out, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And again, it's going past you who are getting the Tongue lashing. And Jesus is saying, it was, it was done to me. In other places, he's, he said that too. If you do something nice to other people in my name, it's like you did it to me. And if you don't, then it's like you didn't do it to me. <clears throat> uh, think about this situation. Let's say you're at a roofing job, Martin. You do roofing, right? Okay. So nothing new for you. Uh, and your employee, you tell, you tell your, your employee to park, park in the grass beside the driveway so they can still use the driveway. And so he does that. And just like that, the neighbor comes out and starts hollering at him and says, Why are you parking my grass? I'll get the lawyer after you. I'm going to you know, hold you responsible for all your tracks. You have to get a professional landscaper here to cover this back up again. And he says, Marlon! Don't want to talk with you. You know, he just passes it right on to whoever is responsible. In this case, it was happened to be you. Sorry. So the whoever gave the rule, whoever gave the instruction, is the one that needs to deal with it. Uh, whoops. Here's a paper chain my son made for me yesterday. Um. I like to think of us as a link in a chain. 
God's at the top. And we're somewhere in, the link, in, in this link. Uh, in relationships, there's a, this hierarchy of who's responsible to who. Okay? And whenever the chain gets jerked, have you heard the phrase, oh, he jerks my chain? You hear that? Whenever your chain gets jerked, God gets jerked. Okay? So if you're this orange link here and the chain gets jerked, God gets jerked. You pass the jerk on to God, right? So we are a link in the chain and God is the one that's responsible. Um, it is God's forgiveness, not people's forgiveness, that will affect our destiny. Somebody can be mad at you the rest of your, your, your life. And uh, that doesn't keep you out from the presence of God as long as God has forgiven you. Uh, Jesus is quite clear, though, that relationships are very important. And if you bring your gift to the altar and find that your brother hath, remember, your brother hath ought against you, Go and try to get forgiveness from him for that. Now, which way was it? Your brother hath ought against you. He doesn't like you. Okay. So you go back and try to... Uh, I'm sure who's, who's forgiven who there. But, but the, uh, the, the point was about the relationships horizontally are important to God. But ultimately, it's, it's God's forgiveness that... Um, that is the most important. So God does the forgiving. Even when people forgive each other, if it's if it's objective forgiveness, if it's not just fake marshmallow then it comes from God too. Um, because they are, unless there are some humanist people that just forgive each other because they feel like being in a nice world, um, that's not forgiveness that counts for eternity at least. All right. Another question that comes up is, how does forgiveness not violate God's justice? Um, I read a, read a piece once, probably a historical fiction um, that I'll read and try to illustrate how, how that can be. It's titled, Day of Death, Day of Life. The rats were rustling by unseen, though all without was light. No morning sunlight ever pierced this dungeon's gloomy night. I knew t'was morn because the guard on watch toned out the hour and with his gong and hammer changed the watch from in his tower. I thought again about the fight we'd lost some weeks before when our surprise attack went wrong. Some traitor squealed, I'm sure. Now, here I sit behind these walls with all the might of Rome available to hold me in and then send me to my doom. A sharp command, the muffled tramp of soldiers' feet on stone. Another band is marching out. And then the angry drone of many voices coming from what must be Pilate's Hall? I strain to hear the, to understand their yell. 
the rabble's call. Barabbas! No. Barabbas! Yes! I heard my name again! This couldn't mean a bit of good, not from those angry men. I pressed my ear against the door. I must catch every shout. Why all this ruckus over me? What's all this fuss about? My knees grew weak. Away with him and crucify! They, tra- they cried. Oh, blackest curse, this could not be. Oh, what a way to die. I raged and paced. I cared not what the crowd yelled anymore. Condemned, no trial, no defense, I roared and kicked the door. I nursed my toes and settled down to fiendish burning hate. I planned a host of recompense, but knew it was too late. Then down the passage to my cell came sounds of jangling keys. I stood and backed against the wall to still my quaking knees. A key o'erpowered the rusty lock. The bolt slid shrieking back. Dim flickering torchlight danced about. A glare amidst the black. Then iron grip of warriors' hands secured me left and right and drew me toward that ranting crowd now gloating o'er my plight. The soldiers dragged me <clears throat> through the halls and to the outer gate. Still closer to those vicious yells, those deadly screams of hate. Now go and thank your lucky stars, they sneered and turned away. I stood a moment, mind the world. Must I not die today? Who then was up before the mob? Who faced their cruel cry? If I would not be crucified, who stood condemned to die? Along the street I crept, until before the multitude I saw the man who took my place. His peasant garments rude all red with blood. A crown of thorns pressed hard upon his head. Could such a man deserve to die? For me his blood to shed? Such pity on his gentle face, no taunts, no threatening cry. His innocent complexion bore no guilt. Why must he die? For me, he'll go to Calvary. For me, his life he'll give. Though blameless, righteous, he will die. Will die and I will live. What wondrous love he must employ to give his life for me. For I'm a rebel, black with sin, and yet he set me free. How can I ever thank enough my gentle, loving friend? who showed to me the greatest love and loved me, yet in sin. Of course, it's a historical fiction. We don't know what Barabbas' life ended up to be. We have no record of that. But in his case, Jesus took his place, as far as the record, record is. How does forgiveness not violate God's justice? Isaiah 53, 11 says, He, God, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God's justice is just as sure as his mercy. Mr. Dawkins says, If there were a God, why wouldn't he just forgive people if he feels like it? Why this whole story of this awful crucifixion of his son? That's the most absurd thing he ever heard of. Why wouldn't a God that loves people just forgive them? He couldn't be a God of justice. He'd be a crooked judge. 
He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. How satisfied? It's all done. Sins are forgiven. Gone. I was wondering if there is anyone here, a born-again person, who trusts me pretty much. If that's not, that's okay. I can just use myself as a volunteer. That's right. Sure, I don't mind. Okay. All you need to do is this piece of paper and this pencil and just go over there somewhere I can't see and write, uh, oh, one of the worst forgiven sins you've ever committed. The one, one, one of the worst. No, just one. You have to pick. And you can fold paper in half when you're finished. How many want to see this paper? No, no one, no one will see the paper. Uh, this is something that, in Earl's mind, in his his heart, something he had done, a a uh, offense that he had committed. But it's all gone. It's all gone, and nobody can ever find it again. It's all gone. There's no no record of it. Me or you or nobody can ever read that again. It's all gone. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross satisfied a perfectly just God. And by God's own character, He has to forgive you, He can't help it. It's kind of strange to say that God can't help it, but that, that's God. God can't can't violate His character. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid! No, 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 no. But a repentant sinner, He will in no wise cast out. And sins are forgiven. Uh, as far as the east is from the west. You know, round and round and round. You can go east and east and east and east and east. Never find the east pole anywhere. You go and go and go. Another question that comes up, in my mind at least, 
my mind has a lot of questions in it. That's where all these questions come from. Um, how do we forgive? So God forgives us. I described God's forgiveness. Uh, God can forgive us because his wrath was satisfied in Christ, Christ's sacrifice. But how do we forgive? Well, I want to describe it as this. We forgive by acknowledging to ourselves that we are not the top of the chain. Okay? That's simplistic, isn't it? But it really comes out to practical ways and outworkings in our lives. We have to acknowledge, not just pretend, but actually believe that we are not the top of the chain. And that is about what forgiveness consists of. If you hurt me, you say, I'm ugly, my hair is crooked or whatever. It doesn't objectively matter to me. Objectively. that It does subjectively, but not objectively. It doesn't objectively matter to me. Because all that matters to me is that I well, am in a position to pass your jerk up the chain. And God's the great absorber. Right? He can absorb all the twitches that come up. And so as long as I stay hooked in the chain, uh, you can twitch me all you like. That's a boop. Sorry, I said it now, didn't I? Uh, that's what the Bible says. Um, God's people can absorb and absorb and absorb and absorb, and they have over the centuries, and they're still today, absorbing a lot of twitch, um, a lot of jerked chain. And you hear um, missions reports and um, Voice of the Martyrs and you know, all those. We, we, we here have a hard time understanding that as you go and, and visit some places uh, or read literature. But all, all that opposition goes up and God, God can absorb it. And as long as we stay in the chain, uh, God will take all the um, jerk that comes your way. Because if you remember that I didn't make the rules. God made the rules. If you violate a biblical principle against me, it wasn't my rule you broke. I happened to be in the way. Sorry. But it was God's rule that got broken. And God is the one that can give the forgiveness that actually uh, puts you in right standing with God. Now, it's nice if I forgive you too. Um, and that, that's biblical, and that's, that's uh, Christ's character. Uh, but God's forgiveness is what really, really um, affects your destiny. So, you know, don't I matter? Yes. Yes, we matter in that we stay linked to the chain. We matter a lot. Ezekiel 20, verse 9, describes how God thought about the nation of Israel, that they didn't matter either. They were getting really, really jerked. And what, what the 
the concern was that uh, God wouldn't be blasphemed. Uh, Ezekiel 20, excuse me, verse that, 20 verse 9. But for I wrought, but I wrought for my name's sake. God worked. He did this project for his name's sake. That it should not be polluted before the heathen. That my name, God's name, should not be polluted before the heathen. Among whom they were. In whose sight I made myself known unto them. In bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. So God has a chosen people for himself. And he took care of them. Took care of them. Rescued them. Um, disciplined them. The success of the project reflects on the, on, on the success of God. It wasn't about Israel. And in different places throughout the, uh, the scripture, he says that. That for my name's sake, it's not because you're so nice. Oh, you keep going and worshiping idols and disobeying. It's because I want to save my project. God's purposes need to be served because God is God. It's not haughty of him to say that. It's not, a, not, not out of the place at all. God is God. And we can't understand how somebody can be that Dawkins says, egotistical. Um, that's from a human, human, humanistic perspective. Um, and you know, not be a bad entity. How can you be like that and be a nice, nice God? But God is God, a creator of the whole universe. His character sets the morality. And so, when hurts come our way, People don't, people don't accept our efforts. You've done your best. You've worked and worked. Put your mind into it. And somebody says, oh, I wish the other guy was here to do that today. Um, that's hard to swallow. You know, People don't appreciate what you've done. But remember, your name doesn't matter. My name doesn't matter. It's God's name that matters. And the only reason that I need to be a... Um, I'm saying something, only, only is a big word. Um, let's, say, let's say, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I need to be Christ-like to you is because it bears on the character of God. How I represent Christ as a, a, a professed child of his. All right, another question. Who should we forgive? Parents? Your friends? Other people around you? God? Satan? Who all should we forgive? Is, the list, is, the, is it just forgive everybody? Everything? Well, we'll go back to the origi- uh, one of the original principles here. The, um, God, God's purposes need to be served. So, whatever... Forgiveness, type of forgiveness, lines up with God's purposes. Then go for it. If it doesn't, then then, then don't. So, uh, forgive our parents. Sure, God God requires children to respect their parents. Uh, and on a human relationship, uh, someone have a, has, has an offense against us, or if we've offended somebody else, uh, we need to to. Uh, uh, try to make reconciliation. Uh, and if they're not willing, well, we can leave that in the hands of God because we're hooked up to God and we can bypass a 
unforgiving person in our links up to, up to God. How about forgiving God? You ever heard of that phrase? You need to forgive God. If you haven't, that's probably fine. Then um, you don't read as many religious books as some people do. It's great. Um, this is a really good book to read. I recommend it. It's really, really good. When God doesn't do what you think he should do, there are some Christian writers who say that you, know, you need to forgive God for not doing what you thought he should do. Okay. You don't forgive God. There's no offense committed, remember? If I knock down my neighbor's, or Brother Matt's here, Brother Matt's um, mailbox post, if that was according to his purposes, there's no offense committed. God always works according to his own will. There are no, no offense can be committed. No, forg- no forgiveness toward God is possible. No objective forgiveness. You can imagine you're forgiving God. Oh, yes, yes. No objective forgiveness can be extended to God. There is none. But there are people who write books about how we need to forgive God for not doing what we think he ought to do. Ooh, foolish. Self-important. Somewhere how they got to the top of the, to- the, top of the pile. They think they're at the top of the, uh, of the chain. They put God down here somewhere. <clears throat> Let God be true and every man a liar. If nobody on earth agrees with God, he's still right. It's an objective, he's an objective person. And he, it's because of his objective character that we can even talk about absolute values, for example, and objective truth. Anybody heard of ever someone saying that you should forgive Satan? That's probably not as popular as forgiving God. Um, but it, it, it comes from the idea that, that you should just be nice to everybody and, and you know, Satan had a hard time and he didn't, uh, he's getting a bad rap these days. So you should kind of give him a break. Okay. Uh, that is not according to the purposes of God. There is, there is a uh, lake of fire reserved for the devil and his angels. Um, there is no place for repentance. So I think you get the point on that one. Satan is out to get you. He's your enemy. And he's not a human fellow human being. There's no relationship of any kind that you need to have with Satan except fleeing and I can't get the phrase right now. I'm looking for it. Um, I'm sorry? Rebuking, sure. Rebuking. Um, No type of conciliatory relationship at all. Okay, so how do we accept forgiveness? Open your Bibles to Matthew 18 again. Yes, they're still there. Matthew 18. Back to the account of the king that uh, had a servant who owed him gobs and gobs and gobs of money. That 10,000, of course, is just a 
uh, doesn't always mean a number. It's a, it's, it's a word that means a lot. I think I stopped in verse 27 and read it again. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou, that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So how do we accept forgiveness? Uh, I would propose this servant did not accept the forgiveness of his Lord, of his king. Uh, kind of reading into the story more than is written. Um, but I am suspicious, at least, that he had in his mind that he was going to start some, collecting some money. Um, because there's this thing about personal pride. You know, if, if, I ask, if I owe something and you say, oh, just, just leave it, that's okay. Just, just forget about it. I am forever beholden to you. I have to be nice to you now from now on. You know, in my mind, I think that. Because I have to repay you back somehow. So, I hope I'm not violating the scriptures here. But I, I, I'm suspicious that this servant had not, in his own mind, been forgiven. He still thought that maybe I can him back. He didn't realize how much gobs and gobs and gobs of money was. And so I would say that this servant had not received the forgiveness that the Lord, the king, extended. To receive forgiveness, you have to Except that you are not going to pay it back. Probably you can't, probably you can't even pay it back. Possibly. Which puts you in a humble position. And that's not very comfortable for uh, humanistic people. I, I, I believe from the story here that this servant still felt guilty. He knew he owed money. But he didn't feel free about the forgiveness that, he was, that was extended to him. But accepting forgiveness frees us from guilt. Uh, and people seem to have a problem with this. Accepting the forgiveness uh, of God. Uh, maybe it comes out in assurance of salvation type of, of uh, questions. Um, or accepting forgiveness from other people. Say I've, you know, 
injured somebody really badly by my negligence. And that can be a lifelong struggle then. And there they are. And they come around with their wheelchair or whatever. And I know it was my stupidity that made, made them you know, be in their wheelchair. Um, by accepting forgiveness, if you can actually accept forgiveness, again, recognizing that all the offenses are against God. And although we were responsible for our own actions, um, the offense actually was against God. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. Well, there were maybe a dozen men dead. Adultery, whatever. David said against God. It was God's rule that he had broken. <clears throat> so we can accept, if we can accept forgiveness, uh, that will free us from guilt. So if I still feel guilty about it, if I still, now we can be, you know, we, we can't forget like the Bible describes God forgetting. Um, we have memories. But whenever the memories come up, we just put them into the forgiven box again. The forgiven box. Light them if you have to. But put them in the forgiven box. By faith, believe that, that your sins are forgiven. So it seems that receiving and extending forgiveness are nearly simultaneous. If I don't receive forgiveness, I can't extend forgiveness. And so if I'm not extending forgiveness, I can't be receiving forgiveness. And so Jesus describes what will the Father in heaven do. Verse 35 of chapter 18, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So if we don't uh, if we don't actually accept the forgiveness, we can't extend it to other people. The forgiveness again comes from the top. We have to get it from the top. We can't just get it from each other down here. We have to get forgiveness from the top. Okay, another question that comes up: Is it true? This is a true statement. When God forgives, he forgets. How many agree with that? Okay. That's fine. There's no, no test grade about it. When God forgives, he forgets. Um, perhaps. But you know what? You can remind him. You sure can. The king, in, this, in the account, forgave the servant. He changed the papers. O's, scratch, scratch, nothing. Nothing on the accounts. There was no record in the king's books that this servant owed him anything. But guess what? It got back in. It sure did. Every last impossible penny of it went back in the books. In verse 31, chapter 18 of Matthew. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. 
and came and told unto their Lord all that was done about this unforgiving servant that was forgiven, not forgiving a fellow servant. Then his Lord, after he, that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee. I did. I really did. I scratched it out. I forgave thee all that debt. But you didn't accept it. I'm just putting that in. My words there. And so since you didn't accept it, I will withdraw my offer. You owe every last penny. And they took him off to jail and tortured him until he was going to pay the debt, which was never to the end of his life. And then, like I said before, then Jesus comes and says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts, really objectively for real, pass God's forgiveness, or do not pass God's forgiveness onto every brother for their trespasses. That's kind of a rephrasing there. All right, so we've taken forgiveness apart and looked at the organs and the um, circulation system, how forgiveness lives and how it works. It's not an easy thing to do because it means we have to believe that we're not the top. And it's not according to human nature (laughs) to do that. To be able to receive forgiveness, it's not according to human nature. It's not according to human nature, fallen nature, to extend forgiveness because we haven't received it. You can't get something you don't get. You, don't, you haven't gotten. So may God help us to stay in the chain and allow all those jerks to pass their jerks up the chain to God. All that holding grudges, that grudges problem just disappears. Relationships sweeten up. God bless you.